Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves. Here at the Good Dog Pod, we are all about supporting dog breeders and responsible dog ownership. We provide dog lovers with the latest updates in canine health and veterinary care, animal legislation and legal advocacy, canine training and behavior science, and dog breeding practices. Subscribe and join our mission today to help give our dogs the world they deserve. Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I have with us today some super fun folks to talk about the veterinarian client relationship that I think is really critical for all of us, whether we own a dog or breed dogs. And so joining us today is Dr. Rustin Moore, who is the Dean of the Ohio State University Department of Veterinary Medicine, and also Dr. Judy Stella, who is our Head of Research and Standards here at Good Dog, and Susan Patterson, who's one of our Good Dog Advisors and works directly with the Ohio State University and also Dr. Moore. So welcome, everybody. I'm super excited to have you join us. Thank you. Thanks. Excellent. So... Dr. Moore, talk to us about what kind of brought you to the Ohio State University, got you involved in this particular line of work. And I'm super excited to be talking to many of the veterinarians from your university in the coming months. Well, thanks for having me. Again, my name is Rustin Moore. I'm the dean here at the Ohio State University College of Veterinary Medicine. I am a graduate of this college. I came here first in 1985 from West Virginia with the goal to go back and be what I refer to now as an Appalachian version of James Harriet. If everyone remembers James Harriet, who wrote the books, he's from Yorkshire and wrote some great books. But anyway, that's really all I knew. When I came to Ohio State, my eyes were really open to the multitude of possibilities of disciplines and things that the veterinarians could do in practice, but even broader than that. So When I graduated in 1989, I graduated thinking I wanted to do a residency in equine internal medicine. I went away for a year as an intern at the University of Georgia. And when I returned to Ohio State as a resident, I was now a surgeon, not an internist, which goes to show you how your career paths can change when you go into veterinary medicine. I came back here and did a three-year residency in equine surgery combined with a PhD, which took an extra year, and then went to Louisiana State University Veterinary School for 12 years and was on faculty there, and then came back here at Ohio State in 2006 as the department chair of veterinary clinical sciences, which I held for about seven and a half years. And simultaneous with that, during part of that time, I was also the executive director of the Veterinary Medical Center and an associate dean for clinical and outreach programs. And then assumed the role of dean after a national search in 2015. And so I just finished my first term and started my second term as dean. So that's sort of my history in a nutshell. I like it. Very broad based. And someday I'd love to hear from internist to surgeon because that's not a normal path. (laughs) (laughs) No. So talk to us a little bit, if you would, Dr. Moore, about some of the things that you encourage with your veterinarians and how they interact with their clients. Well, as I tell everyone, whether it's an aspiring veterinarian student who is yet to apply to veterinary school or our own students or our interns or residents, the first thing I say is veterinary medicine is a people profession, and the animal or the pet is sort of the vehicle for which you serve those people. 
I truly believe that. And you can be the best veterinarian in the world, but if you don't have the people skills, you're going to be somewhat limited in your ability to serve them the best way possible. What I tell our students is there are a variety of clients and there are clients who I don't want to label anyone, but it's those who are very educated about things. There are those who know nothing about the topic and everything in between. And so you really have to learn to adjust yourself to whoever it is you're serving, because even from an economic perspective, you don't want to assume that somebody doesn't know something or they don't have the money. So you just go into each of these relationships with an open mind, get to know the client as a person, and then move on from there. And again, you're going to have a variety of personalities. So you need to know how to adjust to those to be successful. Right. Absolutely. And Judy, you had some questions for Dr. Morris specifically relates to some of the breeders in the good dog community. Did you want to? Well, actually, I would like Susan to maybe talk from a breeder's perspective, bring that in what you see as some of the challenges to establishing this relationship and some of the tension points that might exist. Sure. One of the things that Rustin and I have chatted about before is how do we form a partnership with our veterinarian as a breeder? And as Rustin just pointed out, not all breeders are created equal. And I don't say that with any disparagement at all. We all have different backgrounds before we came to breeding and we all have different experiences in our breeding program that make us who we are as a breeder. And so as breeders, I think are looking to form a partnership with our veterinarians. And I think that's sometimes kind of difficult. We're asking our veterinarians to be this general practitioner that does dentistry, OBGYN, and orthopedics as well. So how do you talk to your veterinarians that you produce at The Ohio State University about things like that, Rustin? Well, so first of all, the majority of our graduates, just like other colleges of veterinary medicine in the U.S., go into general practice, and the majority of those go into small animal general practice, some of them in mixed and others. But So really, a general practitioner in veterinary medicine really has to know a lot about a lot of things, species, different organ systems, different disease conditions, et cetera. And many of them do, and I don't know how they can, you know, as a specialist for years, I mean, I had a hard enough time keeping up with just what I did in equine surgery. So quite frankly, I'm impressed the fact that general practitioners do the level of work and care they do and are able to keep up with the newest developments. And, you know, one of the initiatives or goals at Ohio State is we want to produce, and we're always striving to produce, an even more competent, confident, and career-ready practitioner that is able to practice what we refer to as across the spectrum or spectrum of care, which means they are comfortable and confident in doing a variety of procedures for a given condition in a given dog, because not all clients either can afford or want to go with, say, referral to a specialist, nor do they need to. And so we really are focused on that. But at the same time, I think it's important that clients or breeders understand that not just general practitioners, but specialists too, we don't always have an answer. I mean, you know, there are always conditions that occur that are, as we say, this dog didn't read the book, the textbook. 
because this is outside of what we typically would see. And so I think it's really important that clients and breeders understand that veterinarians, whether they're private general practitioners or specialists, we're not God. We don't know everything. And there are going to be times when we're stumped and there is no answer. And there might not even be an answer if you send and get three or four more opinions. And so I would say going back to the relationship, it's really important to understand that because I know a client or breeder could get upset if something goes wrong and nobody can figure it out. That's not the fault necessarily of the veterinarian, whether they're general practitioner or specialist, but that's just the nature of how medicine and biology and other things work. And to maintain a really good relationship with your veterinarian, you do have to have a level of trust. And that trust is in their capability, but also their trust that they're going to tell you that I don't know. And saying I don't know is better than making something up. And sometimes saying, I don't know, why don't we get another opinion doesn't diminish that practitioner's view, whether they're a specialist or generalist. But what it does is it tells you that you can trust them to help find out what is wrong with your dog or your other pet or animal, but also what would be the next step for the best treatment options. Right. In my world, we call those Auntie Laura's medical miracles. (laughs) Yeah. Always always something. I agree with that. It's very interesting. I would much rather go to a vet who says, I don't know, let me look into this further. Or I am very fortunate to have good relationships with, I call it my cadre of veterinarians. I have an orthopedist, I have a GP, I have a repro specialist. Just like for my own human needs, I have a group of doctors that I utilize in order to make sure I have good health. I do the same with my dogs. And One of the interesting things is I know a lot about my breed specifically. I know a lot about other breeds, but not near as much as I do about my own breed. And so I have really dug into doing research and I'm fortunate because I do have the access because of my affiliation with Northeastern University to get all the veterinary journals and to have my accounts that I can be active in to look up all the most recent research, even if it doesn't pertain to my breed. So that has been a positive that I have brought to my veterinarian and said, I don't know if you've seen this, but this might be of interest to you. Because like Laura and like you just said, Rustin, you know, just because it hasn't happened to us before doesn't mean it never will. And just because we haven't seen it in our dog doesn't mean it won't occur. So just kind of being open to that as problem solvers has really helped. And I think that kind of transfers to owners as well, where we have a lot of good dog pet owners who try to have the same relationship with their veterinarians. And that makes a difference. So Susan makes a great point. It's wonderful to have those kind of resources, but Dr. Moore, not very many of us do, right? So they don't. (laughs) So what is your best recommendation, Dr. Moore, for the people out here who are listening, who have a dog that has an issue, whatever it might be, when do you pull that trigger? When do you ask for a specialist as an owner? What's that point at which you say, okay, I've got to go get orthopedic specialist, or I need to go get a cancer specialist. I mean, as breeders, we know we need a theriogenologist, right? 
but not everybody knows what they need for a specialist? Well, I think it is very individual client and individual patient dependent. It depends on what the condition is that's presented. It also depends on the relationship that you have with your primary care veterinarian. And a lot of it also depends on what the intended use of the dog is. If the dog is, say, an agility dog or needs to go back to some level of performance, that may be different, say, with an orthopedic condition than, say, a dog who is your pet and they don't have to perform at their highest level. So there's so many factors that go into it. But I would say the first step would be to ask your primary care veterinarian, what options do I have to treat this condition that you've diagnosed? And what is the likely outcome of that? Meaning, is it going to go back to being athletic? Is it going to be free of pain, but not athletic? And it all depends on what your goals are. And if you're not comfortable with going in one of the directions that your general practitioner, primary care veterinarian can provide treatment themselves, then I think it's fine to say, well, who would you recommend as a specialist that I go to to have this procedure done, whatever that procedure might be? So the thing I really want to emphasize too, that to have the best possible experience and the best possible outcome for a case where you involve a specialist is that there is a true partnership between you as the client, your primary care veterinarian, and the specialist. Because your dog is going to go to the specialist, and let's say it's an orthopedic condition, it's going to have X surgical procedure performed. And then guess what? It's you and your primary care veterinarian who are going to do the long-term follow-up and care. And so that whole team of people needs to be on the same page. And those are the situations when I believe that the best outcomes are achieved because in many times, yes, the surgery was important, but the aftercare is just as important for a good outcome. If they say crate rest, they mean crate rest. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just going to add something in a little bit too. Most of the vets that I've worked with have had phenomenal vet techs. And that relationship with the veterinarian can and should, in my opinion, also extend to the vet techs. Because while we get a lot of the vet time, the vet tech is also an invaluable resource to be able to show us different things as the vet moves on to other clients. And so I think that relationship needs to include that individual in the veterinary office as well, because they're doing so much of the hands-on care of our animals, you know, with us, with the veterinarian. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more with that, Susan. The veterinary technicians or veterinary nurses, they are called different things in different states, but they are invaluable to a veterinarian to allow them to be more efficient with their time and to better serve the clients. And that's one of the things we stress to our veterinary students and others is how to most effectively utilize the asset that you have in a veterinary technician. Be nice to your tax people. (laughs) I feed mine well during the holidays. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Dr. Moore, did you have suggestions for breeders specifically or owners? What is the information that a veterinarian needs when you come in, when you present your dog or your any pet with a condition, with a problem, with a concern? What does the veterinarian want to know? What's the best information that I can bring you? 
Well, I think of it much like if we went to our own physician. Mm -hmm. It's not so much what he or she wants to know. It's what he or she needs to know. Mm -hmm. And what he or she needs to know is pretty much the details. So, yes, needs to know the breed and the age and all that, because many times there are certain predispositions for certain things that, you know, might occur in breed A that might present with similar signs, but would be something else in breed B. But really having a timeline of when this really started showing up and thinking back, okay, what were the signs? How did they progress? Was it acute onset, meaning very quick, or was it something gradually that got worse and you eventually noticed it and thought it was important? Don't leave out a little detail because a little detail could be really, really important. There is a book called How Doctors Think, and this is a book about physicians written for non-physicians. And this, I'm sure, happens in veterinary medicine too. People get tunnel vision because they hear something in the history that the client or the patient in this case was giving, and they go down a path, and then they get referred on to another person, and they keep going down that same path, and it's the wrong path. So part of that is the importance of getting a thorough history, which means the veterinarian is listening to all of it, and that the client is giving all the history. And don't assume that by leaving out some little detail where maybe a client is thinking that they did something wrong. Therefore, they're going to hide that piece of information because they feel guilty, perhaps. Don't do that. Nobody's going to judge you for whatever happened. I dropped my stash and my dog got into the dope and right. (laughs) If if they do judge you, then that might be an indication to find a new veterinarian. So don't leave anything out because that could be the difference between successfully diagnosing and treating versus unsuccessfully doing that. So be completely forthright. That doesn't mean you have to have 25 pages of day-by-day, minute-by-minute documentation because veterinarians probably aren't going to be able to spend the time going through that, but summarize it in a way that is coherent. It's across time when things develop, when they got worse, what they might have been exposed to, a different food, a different treat. Could they have gotten into something in the backyard? You know, whatever, depending on what the condition is. Excellent. There's one other thing that I'll follow up just from an owner and a breeder perspective. My vet said, I want to know when they last pooped, when they last peed, when they last ate, have they been throwing up? Those four questions, and then I can get into all the rest of the details because so many people forget to tell him Mm -hmm. just those four simple things and then get into the granularity that Rustin was talking about, which is very important to not miss the details. Yeah, I would agree that that's important. Certainly if they have GI signs, if they go in for a lameness, you know, or something like that. That stuff's important, but I know from my days as being an equine surgeon, trying to get a thorough, comprehensive history on a lame horse, Mm -hmm. the client doesn't want to spend a lot of time. What do they eat? When do they last eat? When do they do this? When they that? I mean, that's important. And I agree with it completely. And most of the time, the client or the breeder or whatever, they want to get to the point of, if it's an orthopedic condition, let's talk about what that is. Judy? Yeah, I was just going to say, just from the client perspective, like, you know, your animal the best. You're the one that lives with them. If you think there's something wrong with them, be an advocate for them. I mean, you really push that issue and stand up for them. 
And if you think that, you know, you're going down the wrong path or it's something you're not comfortable with, make sure you speak up again and say, you know, I don't know that this is going to work for my dog or I don't know that this is going to work for my cat because you do know them best. And if you have a good veterinarian and a good relationship, they will trust you and they will work with you on that. Yeah, Judy, I think that's super important, don't you, Dr. Morrow? In my vets, between us, we have what we call ADR. Ain't doing right. (laughs) Yep. I couldn't agree more, Judy. And I think that's borne out. During this pandemic, we have seen adoption rates go up, but we've also seen visits go up. And that's, I think, because owners are home and they're seeing every little thing that is different, that changes that they might not have noticed before. And you're right. Nobody knows their dog, their cat, their horse better than the person who sees them all the time. Now, one thing I will say is sometimes we see them so much, we don't recognize subtle changes that are occurring over a long period of time. And all of a sudden now they weigh five pounds more or five pounds less. But in general, behaviorally or lameness or eating or drinking, those are things that owners really do pay attention to and know. And I couldn't agree more, just like in human medicine. Everybody needs an advocate, a medical advocate in human medicine these days. If not, I've seen too many things go wrong. So be your pet's medical advocate or their health advocate. In any situation where you have a really good relationship with your veterinarian, your veterinary technician, et cetera, they will listen to you and respect you. And if they don't, that might be a clue that it might not be the right fit doesn't mean the veterinarian or the technician is bad. So don't want anyone to think that. As we all know, we gel or click with certain people and personalities, but be an advocate and speak up. I know just as an example, someone, this is years ago, said to their veterinary team that my dog cannot be put in a kennel, a cage. She will go nuts. And well, she was put in a kennel or a cage and she went nuts. But if you let her out in the ICU or it's outside the cage, she did fine. So that really speaks to both the client and the veterinary team to speak up for as a client and listen to as the member of the veterinary team. Excellent. Judy, did you have anything you wanted to add? No, I just wanted to make sure that we got that out because I know sometimes it's a little intimidating going to the vet Mm -hmm. when the vet says, no, it'll be fine. And I just want to make sure that people really understand that they should advocate for their absolutely their job to make sure that everyone stays safe and is comfortable with the situation. So, yeah, I think this was a great conversation. Do you have one last bit of advice? If you had to give caretakers, pet owners one bit of advice with interacting with the veterinarians, what would it be? Well, again, I think it goes back to I'm going to make the assumption that you have already developed a really sound, strong relationship with your veterinarian. So with that assumption in mind, I would say to always speak up in terms of if you've noticed something in your pet, even if it's a subtle little thing, you know, speak up, be persevering, be respectful. And I think if challenge your veterinarian or your veterinarian team in a professional way, because as you said earlier, no one knows your pet or your animal better than yourself. So I think it's all about maintaining a trusting, open relationship where you can have really candid dialogue with your veterinarian or your veterinary team. And it's not personal. It's not a personal attack on anyone. And I think that's what really not just builds, but sustains a long-term relationship and partnership between you 
and your veterinarian to provide the best possible care for your pet. You know, Dr. Moore, I think that word you used there a little bit ago is one that I think is super important, and that's respect, mutual respect. Um, I'm not a veterinarian. I've seen a lot of stuff, but I'm not a veterinarian. And I respect that my vet has spent, my many vets have spent an enormous amount of time and an enormous amount of education, and they know more than I do. I know my dog better, but they know more than I do. And I think that mutual respect goes a long, long way. And if I could just follow up on that and relate it back to what Judy asked, the other thing that I'm worried about in today's society, most people who have pets may or may not know that veterinarians and those in the veterinary profession have a really high rate of anxiety and stress and depression and suicidal ideation and suicide. Mm -hmm. It is not helpful in any respect to badmouth a veterinarian or a veterinary practice. And that happens way more frequently now with social media. And it's just not helpful. And just because something happens and your pet doesn't respond to treatment or your pet may die from whatever it is doesn't mean that that veterinarian or that veterinary team did anything wrong. And so I think it's really important to get that message out mm-hmm. because if you start bad-mouthing the veterinarian, word's probably going to get around. And I know of someone who's a friend of mine who has a really hard time finding a veterinarian because everybody in the community knows about this person. And so for the good of everyone, including your own pet, if your relationship with a given veterinarian isn't working, find a new one, but don't badmouth them because that is definitely not going to be helpful and might come back to, as they say, bite you in the behind. behind. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I think that's a great point to make. And we really try to stress that amongst our breeders and our community, a good dog is just that mutual respect and have that conversation. There is not a veterinarian out there that doesn't want the best for your pet, just like you do. They've devoted their whole life to that. And so I have to remember that that's where they're coming from. And maybe you disagree with what they're suggesting, but it's coming from a good place and they're trying to do the best that they can by your animal. So yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that. Absolutely, Judy. I think we see has been said so much of people trying to look for silver bullets. And I think those who go into the veterinary profession by their very nature go in because they care deeply about the animals and it is as distressing to them, if not more so because they're seeing so many animals that they feel like they should be helping and should be fixing. So providing support to our veterinary caregivers, whether it's the tech or the veterinarian themselves, is really important. And I think it does add to the quality of our relationship when they understand that we care about them and respect their opinions and move forward with that relationship using that as our guide. It does make a big difference. I agree with you, Rustin. We should not be at all in any way, shape, or form bashing any veterinarians. If I could just add one thing, and this sort of, there's a lot of evidence on the human medicine side that when there is not a trusting relationship, and I'm talking now within the care team, or there are behavioral abnormalities or culture or climate issues. Anytime something like that happens, it increases the likelihood of medical errors. 
And so it wouldn't be any different, I don't believe, in veterinary medicine if a client is not being professional or demonstrating mutual respect that although it might not be their pet that a medical error happens to, it could be the next pet that that team sees because they're focused back on the negativity of that interaction. And so keep that in mind, just, you know, everybody's trying to do the best thing for your pet. And if you maintain a positive attitude, a good relationship, you can have a candid professional conversation. I think everybody will benefit from that. All right. Well, Dr. Moore, thank you so much. Judy, Susan, thank you guys. It's been a great conversation. And I'm super excited to talk to more specialists from the Ohio State University. (laughs) Talk about more cool stuff. So thank you. I really appreciate it, Dr. Moore. You're welcome. And our team is very excited to participate in this. So kudos to you. And thanks for asking us to participate and partner with you. I think it's fabulous. I just Thanks, love it. guys. Thank you. <laughs> Good Dog is a secure online community that advocates for dog breeders, educates the public, helps informed puppy buyers connect directly with certified good breeders, and promotes responsible dog ownership. Good Dog is offering its good breeders special advanced access to the video recordings and transcripts for the full three-part Q&A webinar series with Dr. Hutchinson. All you have to do is sign up as a breeder at gooddog.com slash join. That is G-O-O-D-D-O-G dot com slash join. Or click the link in the show notes.